Welcome to Sleepist episode number two. I am your host, Josh, wake up. Wake up. Huh? I am your host, huh? Vlad, and I am joined by my very sleepy co-host, Josh. Josh, we are sitting in a parked car on a beautiful summer day because we wanted to be out in the light, absorbing that beautiful vitamin D, balancing our circadian rhythm, and now that you're awake and balanced and ready to go, how are you today? I am ready. I'm feeling wide awake. Had a nice night's rest. I'm, I'm ready to record some podcast episodes on sleep. It's ironic that you say that because you were actually not present for the recording of this episode. We're, uh, I also was not sleeping at the time. Correct. And um, unfortunately, Josh couldn't join us for this episode, but we had Dr. Dave Singh and Kirk Huntsman of Vivos Therapeutics, a revolutionary new treatment that you'll learn about. Super exciting episode. I think that... When we were on a quest to start discovering the newest, coolest, best products out there, it was amazing that we actually came across Vivos because it is changing how people are curing, treating, healing uh, sleep breathing disorders. Josh, what do you got? Yeah, so I mean, I was really disappointed not to be able to make this episode because uh, just learning about uh, this product, Vivos, was really exciting to me because, you know, as someone with sleep apnea, but someone who is highly averse to, to using the CPAP machine, uh, I was really excited to see that there were uh, devices or treatments that could potentially eliminate or at least minimize the need for, for a CPAP device. Uh, so I'm thrilled to learn more and hear from, hear from this episode, and I really wish I was able to join because it's a very exciting product that I myself hope to uh, try in the near future. And I wanted to, it's funny because I wanted to build credentials for this show and the way I thought I would do it is let's get PhDs and doctors on this show. So I hacked the system a little bit because Dr. Dave Singh has not one, not two, but three PhDs in sleep and sleep dentistry and orthodontics. The man is an absolute genius and we're super excited to have him on. And he is joined by Kirk Huntsman. Josh, give a little background on him. Uh, yeah, Kirk Hutzman is, is helping Dr. Singh bring his potentially life-changing uh, device to, to the market and, and to the world. And, and he's been a leader in the sleep dentistry and, and just the dental industry as a whole uh, for many years. I'm super grateful that we've had the opportunity to, meet, to talk with these two gentlemen. Brilliant technology, incredible team, and we're super excited to bring you this show. Dr. Singh, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit more about your your background, how you got into sleep, and then eventually how you made your way to Vivos. So originally I'm from England and I was invited to come to the US as a professor. Um, so I worked in the Center for Craniofacial Disorders at the University of Puerto Rico. And you know we were looking at children and babies who were born with specific facial defects such as cleft palate and cleft lip and those kind of things. And a side finding of that research was that when I looked at the MRI scans, some of these uh, teenagers, um, what I saw was that the airway had improved dramatically. And so my question then became, could I repeat that procedure non-surgically and could I do it in adults? And if I could, that might be a potential solution for sleep apnea. So a long story real short, that's really how we got uh, involved in this project. This is going back, you know, more than 10 years now. And um, so it was a leap of faith. Um, you know, I left the university hospital 
and started doing some further work and you know developing some devices that may be able to do that for us. And if we fast forward now, you know those devices are you know FDA approved. They're covered by medical insurance, and we've done quite a large caseload since that time. So just a quick question on that. How did you jump from doing what sounded like surgical interventions for the craniofacial patients to a non-surgical procedure? The thing was that the children and the kids that we saw, we knew that they had genetic mutations. So they had specific craniosynostoses, for example, APER syndrome, Cruzon syndrome, or something like a cleft palate, for example. So we knew that there was a genetic mutation going on there. So because of that mutation, you know, the face and the jaws didn't grow like they normally would. Um, and so we had no choice but to try some new surgical and non-surgical you know, techniques on those children. And, you know, long story short, they came out pretty nice. But then I got thinking, you know, most people don't have those genetic mutations in the facial region. So we should be able to target, you know, certain cells, stem cells, certain genes, and to be able to redevelop some of those tissues in regular people. And if we could do that, maybe we could target the airway. So it was like an incremental step-by-step -step investigation to find out if I do this, what happens? If I do this, what happens? So for example, if you take an orthodontic idea, you can apply a force to move a tooth. Um, but that tooth is not working in isolation because it's actually attached to the underlying jawbone. And so there's going to be some ways of remodeling the bone. And if you are able to remodel that bone in certain directions, in certain, to certain extents, then you may be able to remodel the airway because that's the, that's the region directly behind the jaws. And that's simplifying quite a complex series of events, but that is a long story in a nutshell. Kirk, and you yourself are very ingrained in this field, and before you started Vivos, you were an entrepreneur. And Well, I'll let you speak to your background if you can tell us a little more about it. Sure. So I have been, uh, I've been in the dental industry as a, as a businessman and a, uh, an executive and an entrepreneur for, for close to 30 years. I, uh, I launched one of the early dental services organizations, Dental One Partners. Uh, it's one of the larger uh, DSOs in the country right now. And built that up from scratch. I think today it's probably 250 to 300 million in revenues and about wow. 1,600 employees. So it's, we sold it um, in 2008. In 2010, I left and I managed a company. I ran a company as CEO called uh, Reach Out Healthcare for uh, Morgan Stanley. It's a Morgan Stanley uh, portfolio company. And, uh, and after that, I, I started looking around for something new and innovative in the, in the dental field. And by a, a whole series of fortuitous circumstances, I found my way to Dr. Dave Singh. And, you know, I think at the time, Dr. Singh had been very successful in launching his product and, and teaching doctors around the country how to do uh, this, this really amazing service and protocol for, his pa for their patients, but uh, was in need of some help to scale it. And um, so I had an interest in helping him scale it, and we kind of struck up a, a relationship and a friendship and decided that we would make a run at this thing. And so we have, we've been working since, to, we've been working together since the middle of 2016, I believe. 
and have mm-hmm. uh, just been working working full tilt on on taking this message to to the world. Really, this is more than just an American phenomenon or a North American phenomenon. This is something that affects people of all ages all around the world. So we're talking about literally not just tens of millions, but probably hundreds of millions of of people around the world who suffer from some form of or some degree of obstructive sleep apnea or, you know, one of the related conditions associated with sleep uh, disordered breathing. The real reality, the stark reality for patients who have that disorder is that is that there's no real good solutions, or at least there hasn't been until until Vivos. So we have we have a unique story and a new, unique contribution to make. We think it's a, a significant and game changing type technology. So that's that's kind of how we we got to this point. It's fascinating, and I guess my question before we even dive into the the technology and and what you guys are doing, my question right now is. Why is this such an epidemic? It seems like evolution either just messed up somewhere along the way or something in the last few decades has been changing. Can you on and what you think might be triggering yeah. it? I mean, that's a really, really good question. And so, yeah, we can, we can kind of quote blame evolution, but, you know, the genes that we have today are the same genes that we've had for at least 30,000 years. And in those 30,000 years, what's really happened is the environment has changed dramatically and significantly. And if you say to me which specific part of the environment, I'm talking about newborn children, the way they sleep, the way they feed, um, you know, the way they breathe, all of that stuff has changed. There's air pollution, um, there are bottle feeding, there's milk formula, there's processed foods. All of that stuff has changed dramatically, and we have the same genes. And what's actually happened is a gene-environmental interaction to a large extent. And so what that means is that you've actually changed the craniofacial structure. You know, it's subtle, but it has very significant functional effects on things like breathing and sleep and the airway. And so it works in both directions. If the epigenetic idea made the jaws and airways, you know, less uh, robust, well, we can push that equation to the opposite side and help to enhance craniofacial structures a little bit more. And because we have essentially a genetic mechanism here that involves no genetic potential, and the Doctor, we're, we're losing you. Can you just uh, repeat that last part? Um, yeah, so um, if, you, if, if it's an epigenetic process which is making the jaws uh, smaller and less well-developed, then we can use the same mechanism in reverse to enhance craniofacial structure. It's a bit like going to the gym. If you're overweight or, you know, out of shape, if you go to the gym and start working out, you get muscle tone, you start getting bone density, and probably a blood pressure will probably come down as, as well. And so this is the phenomenon that we're trying to capture is allowing the body to heal itself uh, to, a, to a certain extent um, by, uh, by providing the appropriate you know, environmental stimuli for that to happen. What are some early signs that a person might be having sleep breathing or obstructive breathing issues? What are signs that someone lo- um, listening at home would be able to just detect in themselves to to be able to address this issue or at least to realize that it is an issue for them? Well, you know, it's quite a diverse uh, group of signs and symptoms depending on the patient. These may be children. 
they may be teenagers, they may be young adults, they may be older adults. So let's take just, you know, the classical example is, you know, uh, someone who's been told that they're snoring. And so at one point in history, snoring was, you know, it's a bit funny and, you know, a comic thing. But actually, it's the, the, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg in terms of it's saying that this airway and breathing is not functioning uh, optimally, you know, during sleep. So some people may have a partner, a bed partner, who's saying, you know, this person, you know, is a snorer or is a loud snoring. So that's one way that you would pick this thing up. But another one would be, and this is probably slightly more common and less well reported, is daytime sleepiness, daytime fatigue. You know, after lunch, not so with the game, a little bit out of the picture. This might be a child who gets a little bit sleepy during, you know, school hours. A really horrific example would be a truck driver who's driving a long distance and suddenly becomes sleepy at the wheel. That's daytime fatigue. And so suddenly it becomes a very important topic. Now, again, it's, it tends to manifest in different ways. This child, instead of being sleepy at school, might in fact be hyperactive during the day or with attention deficit, or it may present with something like bedwetting at night. So the way these patients present it's quite diverse. It may be picked up by different people. You may go to the, you know, medi uh, to the physician for your medical and find out that you have high blood pressure. All of these aspects are directly or indirectly related to sleep disordered breathing. It's a spectrum of conditions, but the underlying etiology is kind of similar in most cases most of the time. What are some other doctors or professionals that would be looking for signs or symptoms of sleep breathing disorder. I mean, the perfect example currently would be a dentist. What is something a dentist would see that would indicate uh, obstructive sleep breathing issues? Well, you know, one of the interesting aspects of this phenomenon is, is that, that obstructive sleep apnea and sleep disordered breathing, they're medical conditions, and, and they're, they're medical conditions with a potential resolution from a dental perspective. And so it, the dentist actually is playing a role uh, in, a, in, a, in res resolving a medical condition that is, is a different kind of a role than dentists have traditionally, um, traditionally played. And I think the, the important thing for, for patients to, to learn and to understand is, is that their dentist may have answers for them and solutions for them that their physicians have have not had access to or have not had the knowledge of simply because the knowledge of how to reposition and remodel the the, the airway and the tissues that surround the airway it, it involves a dental there's a strong dental connection there and so so i think that that uh, the kinds of clinicians that are going to, to be looking for you know indications of obstructive sleep apnea now include the dentist, uh, whereas before you, you would think of your general family physician, you'd think of your pulmonologist, you'd think of your, your uh, perhaps there would be an internist or someone, but, but really nowadays uh, with, with the, the, the advance of technology and with the things that we can do in the dental office, they, we have to include the dentist in that, in that group as well, Maybe and, and even chiropractors. We're now seeing where as part of our clinical protocols for, for the Vivo system, we're actually seeing 
that we have the ability or the need to uh, include a, a chiropractor in, especially a trained chiropractor, but a chiropractor in the overall um, treatment protocol. So I would say those, those would be my, that would be my answer to that. Dr. Singh, what would you, how would you answer that question? Absolutely, and it could be a very wide range of you know people. It might be a school teacher, you know, um, or a pediatrician, um, you know, who's picking up all these signs that you don't, you know, that they don't match. It might be neurologists. So it's such a diverse way of presenting. You know, you take someone who's got diabetic, you know, uh, pain. Um, who would associate that with a lack of good quality sleep? So the way these patients are identified, it's uh, pretty diverse. But as you said, uh, the dental profession is in a unique uh, position uh, simply because they tend to see patients on a regular basis and they can monitor their health or changes in health quite easily and non-invasively. And so what that might involve is just a screening, a questionnaire, you know, because there are telltale signs in the mouth, you know, in the teeth, you know, maybe on the tongue or the palate. And so the dentist or, you know, dental hygienist, for example, if they're doing a screening and they pick up signs of, for example, tooth wear, they can have a conversation on, are you grinding or brushing your teeth at nighttime? And if that's the case, we start to identify these very small, subtle features that might lead to a diagnosis of sleep disordered breathing. And if that questionnaire or if that screening, you know, shows that there's a high risk or a moderate risk of sleep apnea, then the dentist can say, you know, how about having some kind of sleep study done to rule out, you know, sleep disordered breathing or if there's going to be a diagnosis there, what's the best treatment options we have for that. So I think the way that these patients are picked up um, can be quite interesting. Another thing is sports. And again, it sounds like a very broad range here, but we know that certain patients or certain athletes are more prone to concussions than others. So if an athlete's had a concussion, the chances of getting a second concussion are very high. And that could be a, you know, a footballer, but it might be a female soccer player. Female soccer players have the second highest rate of concussions compared to any other athlete. Um, and so the question is, why did these um, high schoolers or college or professionals, why did they get concussions? that may be part of the craniofacial architecture, which again leads back to some form of disruptive sleep um, or airway issues. So it's kind of heterogeneous um, and it's a broad base. And so we have to be, we have to educate and inform people in terms of here's some of the telltale signs, which you might not expect to be associated with sleep. I had no idea about the, the female soccer players. So are you saying that it's causal? It's because that they, for some reason, facial development issue that is now leading to more concussion? Well, um, we know the female structure obviously um, is quite different from the male. So they tend to be more, the jaws tend to be more um, slender and the neck muscles tend to be a lot smaller. And those two things, put those two things together, a smaller jaw and a weaker neck muscle means that whiplash is more likely to occur. So that might be a blow to the head, you know, from uh, from a ball, from a goalpost or something like that, or, or uh, a different player. And so, you know, one of the things we can do is help these young athletes and saying, let's do a screening and make sure that your athletic performance, uh, you're protected during that performance. 
and that kind of leads on to looking at how this airway is, you know, behaving. So fatigue during during sports is related to not having such a good airway, perhaps. So you know, we start looking at different ways to pick up these patients. So patient education, um, educating educating parents. You know, and this might be from a sports aspect, but it might also be from a dietary aspect. Does this child have childhood obesity? And we know that obesity is, you know, an untold epidemic in the U.S. and also in other developed countries. And it's something which is reversible. It's something which is preventable. And so that ties in with hypoventilation. These kids are not breathing sufficiently during the day and then they don't breathe well at night, and suddenly you have, you know, the classic signs of sleep disordered breathing. It's funny, when I started on this journey to improve sleep, I thought that it would be through sleep hacks or through gadgets that are out there, and I'm starting to realize that ultimately, until you've improved your sleep, there's nothing else that really matters. Everything else is an incremental change, but until you've improved your breathing, which is the single most important thing you can do, uh, all the other stuff becomes secondary. So, you know, you've told us about some of the causes, some of the issues that people are running into. Now, what role does Vivos play in uh, treating and curing the sleep disorder breathing? What, what is your offer? And tell me a little bit more about your product. Maybe I could take that one. Having a, having a technology that actually can solve a problem is is an essential part of the battle, but it's by no means uh, determinative in winning the war. And so what we, what we have with this technology here at Vivos is the, the platform that needs now to get out and get distribution. It needs to get out into the hands of, of properly trained and skilled providers. It needs to be, there needs to be awareness uh, this is why Dr. Singh and I do these kinds of programs on a regular basis is because we're, we're trying to create an awareness uh, in, the, in the general public. We're trying to create an awareness in the professional community. We're trying to create a, a national movement that we call the Breathing Wellness Movement that, that will help inform people that, that not only is sleep disordered breathing a, a, a serious health issue, but there are now new options that most patients don't even know are available. And, and these options that we bring to the table, we think are game-changing type options. And so there are patients, millions of patients out there today who have either rejected um, traditional methods of treatment or have become intolerant to those treatments uh, or the treatment modalities and these people are just left wandering around trying to figure out what to do next. And, and I think our message to those people, along with all those who think that they may have or that their significant loved ones or whatever may have some type of a, of a breathing disorder, our, our message is, is, hey, don't give up and reconsider this because if you are not in treatment or you rejected treatment because you were CPAP intolerant or because you just, you know, whatever, whatever your reasons were, there's now another alternative here, and this alternative is a totally different game than what than what you were being asked to play before if you were if you were put into one of these other treatments. And so, what our primary purpose right now is is to extend the message, um, let people know that there is a a viable, non-surgical, non-pharmaceutical, non-invasive treatment 
option that can have results that, that for many patients are, they go beyond just sort of managing this condition for the rest of your life and can really impact in a lasting way a person's ability to breathe without continuing intervention for the rest of their life. So this is a game changer, and, and I think that's, that's kind of our message to the world, and that's our, our total focus. We have a, our mission here at Vivos is very simple and it's very clear, it's to rid the world of obstructive sleep apnea. No, nothing short of that is going to, is going to be okay. We, are, we work round the clock and we work uh, relentlessly to, to see that patients who are suffering needlessly are, are made aware of the, of, the, of the technology that's available and that they are afforded the opportunity to, to receive this treatment. That's our goal and that's what we do. So once I've decided to take this path and I've just been listening to this podcast, I want to go and learn more about it. What are the next steps that I should be taking and what am I to expect once I start the treatment and the procedure and what are the first steps and, and just kind of walk me through what the expectations are as a patient going into this. It sounds incredible. This is so much better than a CPAP machine or a surgical intervention. So, so what am I to expect? Well, I, I want to be really clear that um, in some some cases, in, in some cases where the sleep apnea is very severe, um, we we may work in collaboration, close collaboration with uh, a, an attending physician who will continue to recommend CPAP. Uh, and sometimes we work uh, in a collaboration that involves both treatments being done simultaneously. So. So we are, we're very closely aligned with the medical profession and the kinds of things that they're trying to do. And look, we're all trying to get to the same point. We all want the same end result, which is a healthy, happy patient that can breathe at night with as little intervention or no intervention as possible. And so, uh, so the, the journey for a patient kind of begins at, at any number of different points. They, they may just, you know, get tired of feeling run down during the day. Dr. Singh referenced that the um, daytime sleepiness and drowsiness, there may be any, any other number of comorbidities that are either that sleep apnea is either contributing to or making worse for them. And so their, their, their first point of, of entry into, into Vivos is typically a phone call or a, a referral by their physician or their pulmonologist or, or some, someone, a could be a pediatrician. The first entry point typically is a referral for, to one of our uh, specially trained doctors, uh, typically their dentists, who will initiate uh, a series of, of tests, including a home sleep test, and they'll take some other diagnostic uh, data and, and images, and all of that gets reviewed in, in, a, in a very deliberate and thoughtful way. And a treatment plan is created if there is sleep apnea present or if there is a condition that we can treat, then that, that patient goes into the next phase where they actually, um, they, they will actually start to, uh, they'll start to get into treatment. Sometimes we have to, um, we, ha we actually give the patient what we call a rescue appliance and then we fabricate a custom made appliance for the patient and that appliance is designed specific for, specific to that patient's needs. And then we, we continue on to monitor every four to six weeks. We'll monitor that patient, have them come in, make sure that, that everything is going smoothly. There's no unanticipated uh, concerns or things that, that are happening that we don't know about. And so we'll just go down the road uh, 
and monitor this this patient through. Typically, treatment is um, anywhere from 12 to 24 months, and uh, the patient compliance has a big a big role to play here. This is not something that you know it's not uh, you know one and done like it might be if it was a surgery surgical procedure. This is a participative process where the patient has to take responsibility for their their health and wellness. So their 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 cooperation and their compliance are are essential here. But uh, the the appliances are typically worn for 12 to 16 hours a day and and so evenings and overnight there's typically what we what we ask for and at the end of the at the end of the treatment the patient can can expect a pretty good outcome and it may be it may be a cessation or a reduction in their in their chief complaint it may be a complete elimination or whatever of their of their uh, conditions it may be that their AHI scores drop it, there's any number of things that they they can hope for and expect along the way, but that's the goal is to restore that patient to a a state of wellness and health and and an ability to breathe freely without any impairments uh, during sleep. And so that's that's our treatment. Doctor Singh, I, my understanding is that this is not a new process, that this is something you've been working on for a few years now, and you've had uh, from our previous conversation a few thousand patients that you've worked with already, what success rate are you seeing with those patients? Well, you know, I think the, the important thing is to say, question one, is this uh, individual appropriate for this therapy? And so what we have to do is saying, let's do a screening, let's do the diagnostic workup to find out what is the site and the severity of the obstruction. And so once we know that, let's say you've got a mild or a moderate case, and let's say we find there's an obstruction, you know, either, you know, behind the nose or the palate or the tongue, then we're going to customize the device to try to target those areas. So that's one of the main differences between what we do and some of the other approaches that are out there. We try to target the therapy best we can. So over the last, you know, 10 years or so, we've trained hundreds, you know, of, of dentists and orthodontists and doctors in the U.S. and, and actually worldwide um, and so they've been able to do several thousands of patients. You can never say that you, there's a guaranteed outcome, but our published studies show that we can reduce the uh, severity of the condition, and if we're lucky, in some of these selected cases, we can eliminate it, which means that you are now speaking as sleeping as a regular person with no device in your mouth, and that is our kind of holy grail in terms of what are you trying to achieve here. We want to get to a state of fitness, to a state of health, so that this patient can function like a regular patient without having to, like a regular person, without having to wear a device for the rest of their life. So ongoing studies, clinical trials, we will do those. You know, we'll just keep on doing more studies because that's how science works. And as of today, we've done, you know, more than 40 um, peer-reviewed, you know, articles and publications and more on the way. We are very encouraged by what we are finding. Yes, these are, quote, early studies or pilot studies, but we are encouraged by what we found. And we found that these uh, results are repeatable, uh, they're consistent, and they're reliable. And so the kind of things that happens is that we are able to increase the bone volume of the jaws. These are adult patients, also in children. We're able to open up the nasal passages so this patient can now breathe through their nose. And if you start doing things like that, we then look at the sleep studies, and what they show is that there will be 
significant improve, improvements in the quality and the quantity of sleep. That is very important to us because if we can redevelop the airway and allow this patient to breathe normally, that's going to normalize the sleep. So three areas to think about. What is the airway doing in this patient? How is this patient breathing? And how is this patient sleeping? So really what we're doing is targeting the airway, trying to improve its health best we can. That would allow the patient to breathe well whilst they're asleep at night without having obstructions, without having snoring. And then what that does, it restores the sleep cycle, and that's the holy grail. So if we can say we can restore the sleep architecture, so now you've got REM sleep when you actually dream and you wake up feeling refreshed, that is really our long-term goal in terms of having studies to show not only are we able to fix the airway, we actually improve the sleep during the breathing during night. And then because we're, this patient is breathing well during the nighttime whilst they're asleep, the sleep is actually restored. And that is, you know, our real goal. So we can go into the details in terms of what is the underlying, you know, pathology of sleep apnea. We know that there is endothelial dysfunction involved. We know that there's clinical autonomic dysfunction involved. There's so many different systems that are being uh, disrupted by abnormal sleep. If we can fix that sleep architecture, we have a chance to say, hey, you know, we can actually have fit and healthy people. And that equi equates to longevity and improved lifespan. And that really is the crux of why do we sleep as humans? Why do we need to sleep for, you know, average of eight hours in the 24-hour cycle? Why do we need to sleep? Well, the short answer is it's longevity. By having these uh, periods of time set aside for regeneration, recuperation, recovery, you actually extend the lifetime of that individual. And we're talking about the quality of life, not just the length of the life. So the current studies are promising. More studies are needed. We are quietly confident that we're going to get to where we want to be. It might take a few more years, and that's the nature of research and scientific endeavor, is that your work is never done. But we're very encouraged by what we have found so far. And this is, to me, the critical piece. It's not just extending someone's lifespan, but also ex extending their health span. So they have a longer and also healthier life. When you read the studies on the impact of poor sleep on a person's health, it, it, it runs the gamut of neurodegenerative disorders to cancer to cardiovascular disorders. What you're essentially doing is giving somebody a chance to live a long and healthy life, and that's critical. So as a patient, what, how do I learn more about you? Where can I learn more about Vivos, and how do I find a practitioner who can guide me towards the treatment if I'm a good candidate? Well, that's a great question. We have a, uh, a website, vivos, V-I-V-O-S, life, L-I-F-E, dot com. At that web on that website, you'll find a, uh, a clear description of, you know, what our treatment process is and sort of how it works. And, and then there's a doctor locator, provider locator uh, on there where we have around 800 seven or eight hundred clinicians around the country that are certified and approved. We have what we call integrated practices that, that are uh, our elite, our more elite practices that are around the country. And um, these providers are ready and willing to take new patients in, uh, perform their evaluations. That's the, the, the status of any, 
any one patient's condition. And as Dr. Singh mentioned, the appropriateness of, of our protocols and, and treatment for that patient. And, you know, I think, uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a, most, most of the providers, by the way, will take a, a new patient and, and offer a, a complimentary, you know, at least an exam and, and just to, to try to see where they're at and at least give a screening so that they can kind of I- identify the appropriateness of, a, of our, our treatment. But um, I think it's, it's well worth, this is so prevalent in the general population that if you suspect that you or your spouse or your child has this, then it, it, it's really incumbent upon you to pick up the phone, do your homework, make a call, and, and get in front of a provider because um, there's, there's no cost, no obligation to just check it out and just see where you're at. And then from there, you can, you can determine how you want to proceed. But it's, it's sure, uh, it's amazing to me, the almost immediate life changes that start to happen when a patient goes into treatment. Sometimes the, um, we talk about remodeling the airway and, and all these changes over the course of 12 to 24 months, but for most patients, the, the effects of change begin almost immediately. And you'll see, most patients will see changes in the first few weeks of treatment, and they don't have to wait 12 or 24 months to get to the end before they find out that they're actually really improving in their, their overall uh, alertness, their vitality, their ability to breathe at night, their lack of snoring, all these different things that start to improve their life. Go to the, go to the website at vivoslife.com, make a phone call, uh, all the information's there. Find a provider and and get yourself checked out. I think that's the that's the watchword. And that's the critical piece too. Here is this is not an alternative medicine treatment. This is a very science based, hard science approach to treating the problem. And what you're doing is rigorous. You're relying on studies and clinical evidence, and what you're seeing for your patients is very real. We cannot emphasize that enough because again. A lot of what you read online, there are alternative medicine, there's alternative cures, and they have their place, I think, in the world. But what you're doing is very different. This is a, a revolutionary approach, and your goal to end sleep apnea and obstructive sleep disorders, that is huge, huge undertaking. But if this service pans out, and it sounds like it will, you really have a chance at making that become a reality. Um, but so my question right now is also, we didn't really touch upon what are, you know, I talked about the risks, uh, generally speaking, but what are the risks of having a obstructive sleep disorder? Like, what are the actual repercussions in my day-to-day life other than feeling a little bit sleepy? Like, what will that cause down the line other than, you know, obesity? And, and can we just dig in a little bit more into that, Dr. Singh? Talk to us about what the risks are of having such a disorder. If we look at the overall, you know, just give me a nutshell. Um, a person with severe sleep apnea that's untreated, you can say that the life expectancy on average will be less uh, um, than 10 years than a normal healthy matched control. So, you know, 10 years of health and life and longevity, this is the uh, overall kind of uh, consequence of untreated sleep apnea. In between all of that, there may be conditions such as cardiovascular disease, hypertension, you know, cardiac failure, just think of the medication costs over a lifetime of the individual. They are phenomenal. 
And so we can say that, you know, we can help these people to have, you know, a healthier life with reduced kind of burden on the healthcare system because of the pharmaceuticals that are, that are involved. Think about diabetes, a chronic condition with all sorts of ramifications, including pain, nerve pain, you know, potential blindness, all that kind of stuff can go on with diabetes, which is untreated. And that is a possible consequence of untreated severe sleep apnea. Um, think about dementia, think about stroke, think about all the neurological conditions. You're at an increased risk of those conditions if you have untreated sleep apnea. You mentioned obesity, you mentioned cancer. We can go on and on and saying, look at these chronic conditions which are associated with them, and we need to get to the the real kind of nux, you know, the kind of the, the central nub of the uh, the hub of the problem in terms of what's going on here. Obesity is a bit of a, you know, an interesting situation whereby the obesity can cause sleep apnea to be worse or it may be the factor that's causing it in the first place. And so thorough diagnosis is what's required. Is there a history of hypertension in this case? Is there a high BMI, a body mass index? These are the kind of things that we look for. Does this patient have, you know, the, a large neck size, a large collar size? Those are the things that we start to look for in terms of identifying these patients. Is there a previous history of a stroke in the family, a cardiovascular history in the family? You know, is there, in fact, a history of asthma, bronchitis, all of these kind of things? And so... Sometimes we're able to identify these patients, you know, in a preventive way rather than wait for an incident to occur. And so we may, may not be able to completely eliminate the stroke or the heart attack, but what we might be able to do is push it 10 years downstream and make it less severe. And my kind of uh, philosophy is, you know, how much is that worth? The fact that you can prevent some of these serious life-threatening conditions how much is that worth, you know? And as a younger person or someone who's just been diagnosed, proactively seeking out and thinking, how can I address this problem and, you know, try to mitigate it and its consequences, you know, in the future. On the question of cost, is there any way to, uh, I, I believe you mentioned that there is some options for insurance to cover it. Would this be falling under medical or dental or is that even an option to have some uh, help with mitigating the cost of the treatment? Once again, this is uh, a medical condition covered by most medical insurance uh, uh, insurers, and and we uh, we receive our providers receive um, regular reimbursement from uh, virtually every commercial payer in the United States. So there's very few, if any, medical insurance health insurance companies that won't reimburse for this. The level of reimbursement will vary widely from policy to policy. Some patients get virtually 100% coverage. Others, because of their policy terms and conditions, um, may not see more than maybe 20%. But there's, there's coverage typically available for almost every patient uh, that is insured by a commercial payer. So there's really no reason to not try it. As Dr. Singh mentioned, the ultimate cost of not getting treatment down the line will be much more expensive if you don't approach it now as a preventative measure. If you could just reiterate where, what the website is, I know we're getting to the bottom of the hour right now. Uh, what is the website and again, how can people learn a little bit more about it? Sure, the, the website is Vivos, V-I-V-O-S, V as in Victor, uh, Vivos Life, life.com. If you'll go to that uh, website, you'll see a lot of information there about the products, about the company, 
You'll also see a provider locator feature where you can uh, identify a provider in your area. You know, we have probably, oh, it's probably north of 800 uh, dentists around the country that are designated as, as certified providers or integrated practices. And so there's a, a pretty good chance that almost anyone in the continental U.S. and most of Canada can get to a, a Vivos certified provider without too much difficulty. So it's, it's best to look at the ones in your area. If there's an integrated provider, those tend to be the more experienced, more active uh, doctors in, this, in, in, our, in our arena. But any, any certified provider has the skills and the, the tools available to, to assist you. So feel free to call uh, our office. We have an 800 number to help with certain specific you know, conditions. But I'd say that there's a pretty good coverage across the United States right now. It's continually changing and advancing. So check back frequently. If somebody's not right there in your area this week, there may be someone there next week. So we're growing quite rapidly. A lot of dentists are are coming to understand what this can do for uh, their patients and their practices. And so they are, um, there's a lot of activity and new doctors, new providers coming on board all the time. And if you're a doctor listening at home, what would you need to do to become certified with the program? Well, I think the first step on the journey is to start to educate yourself. So I think, you know, one of the interesting things about this is that most of our most active providers, the ones that are the most passionate about it, were first patients before they came, became providers. Uh, they sought out treatment in this protocol, this, this treatment. They sought us out because they had a problem personally. And once they saw what this treatment did for them, they immediately wanted to figure out how they could take this to their patients. So, um, you know, what most of, most of the doctors who are out there are going to either need this treatment themselves, they're going to perhaps want this treatment for their, their loved one or their, their child, anybody, that, anybody that's in their circle of friends or patients or influence that they, that they really care about, they're going to want to, to try this out. Once they try it out and they see what this is doing for their patients, they become instant fans and instant advocates for what we're doing. And it's, it's really gratifying to see that. I would say if you're a dentist or a physician out there and you're, you're curious about this, Start to get yourself educated. Uh, just make like a patient. Try to figure out what this is all about, how it works. There's plenty of information out there. We put, we're always updating and adding new information to our website. So there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of research that we've put, put out there. There's a lot of, of really good information that will help a provider understand what this is all about. And once they do that, then I think they'll, um, they can start to interact with us and we'll take them down the, the next steps of, of what they need to do to become a provider. And I really hope that message gets out. I, I think there's nothing more painful than watching someone you love die from something that could have been prevented. On a lighter note, just to end the show, I was wondering if you, and we'll start with you, Dr. Singh, what's a sleep question or a sleep-related question that you've been pondering, something that you want to learn more about? Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, if I could can just turn it around a little bit, you know, let's think about the future of sleep, you know, and think about what would happen in the next generation. Um, my hobby would be to say, you know, what I'd love to do is at some point, you know, establish a new specialty, and this would be dental sleep medicine. 
So then what we're doing is training just the same way you've got, you know, orthodontists or you've got other dental specialty, uh, specialties. Maybe have a new specialty of dental sleep medicine so we can work very closely with our medical colleagues. And this is a pervasive problem, as we know. It's a worldwide problem. And so I think 21st century solution would be saying let's identify a group of professionals who really focuses on this both from a preventive aspect, from a management aspect, from a research and development aspect, saying how can we best help uh, current and future patients. So, yeah, my, my thing would be saying, is that something that we can do in the future? And so, yeah, that's, uh, I'd like to focus on that a bit if I have some time. And Kirk, so I have a question. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I would like to take a stab at that and just say that those of us who are close to this technology, close to this research, and understand what this research is doing for patients, I think there's a growing group of us that believe with all our hearts that this is Nobel Prize-worthy research and breakthrough technology that if you just measure the, the technology and the value of the technology by the impact on humanity, this, this very simple, single kind, it's not simple research, but this singular uh, set of research that was pioneered by Dr. Singh has the potential to impact humanity uh, to the degree of just about any other Nobel Prize worthy kind of research and development. This is a huge breakthrough. We think it's going to revolutionize healthcare. We think it's going to revolutionize the way that we think about sleep and we think about health and we think about wellness. You know, we breathe every day, but we don't pay it much attention until we can't breathe anymore. And then it becomes suddenly the number one thing in our life. But I think what Dr. Singh's technology has done is elevate the consciousness of all of us to what not, not only what is wrong with us when we can't breathe properly, but now the potential for what could be if we just get this, get this, uh, get our airway the way it's supposed to be. So we have, and when we think about the future, we think about what's what lies ahead. We we see nothing but a lot of a lot of really great things in, in terms of our impact on the world. Uh, Kirk, those words actually sent a bit of a chill down my spine. I think it's powerful. What you're doing is profound, and I hope it really does pan out to be what it seems to be uh, trending towards. So I wish you both the best of luck. I thank you both for for having the courage to bring this into the into the world and the resolve to just get the message out and to bring this technology to a place where it will be making great change for uh, hopefully all of humanity. So thank you again for joining us and we will be in touch. We will be following your progress and then we are more than happy to have you back for updates and just to share your success stories along the way. So thank you for joining us and I hope that everybody uh, learns more about it. And if you're suspecting that you might have a sleep disorder, um, breathing issue, then you probably do, and it's a very good idea to get it checked out. And uh, if you have any final thoughts, now is a great time to jump in. Well, thank you for having us. Uh, I we just we love the opportunity every every chance we get to spread the word. So thank you again for having us, Vlad. We we look forward to uh, many more such such uh, episodes like this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Vlad. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Sleepest Podcast. Are you all asleep? .ist. My name is Vlad. My personal blog is vladit.com. If you have any questions, please visit us at the Sleepist website. Drop us a line, ask your sleep question, 
And remember, we are not doctors, we don't play them on TV, and anything you hear on this program should first be checked with your personal doctor.